Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Before Mass, I had one of those uh, moments that's like a preacher's worst nightmare. I was flipping through the lectionary to just make sure the readings were set for today. And I like didn't see the verse that I had planned to preach on in the first reading. I'm like, oh, gosh, did I pick the wrong readings to preach on? It was there. I just didn't see it. So that whole time I was like, all right, Lord, come on. And then... And then you read it. Who, who, who read? Who read the reading? Who read the first reading? Yeah, I was like, "Thank God." Okay. All right. So it's like, I'm gonna wing it, Lord. I'm gonna wing it. All right. But He took care of me. That's great. All right. So this is the verse I was looking for. This is the verse that I want to uh, draw our attention to. Just to, like, this is the jacuzzi, and I all just want us to all stew in this jacuzzi. There's an image. Okay. It's a really big jacuzzi. <laughs> Not one of those hotel ones. <laughs> Making a human soup tonight. Okay. Here's the verse. Here we go. God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. That's where I want us to linger. God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. What does that mean? What does that mean, right? Because like, oh, my little heart, right? Oh, my little heart. I, I know I'm not the only one who in these days here feeling my finitude, feeling my limitations, feeling my, my limited heart drinking from a fire hydrant. And it's just like, there's just no more room. There's just no more room. You hit a saturation point where there's just like, I can't take in any more glory. I can't take in any more glory. Like, how can it be that my little finite heart could be made to partner with the infinite God? How? How? How does he fit? Let's just start with that. How does he fit? It just doesn't seem possible just doesn't seem possible. You probably remember that story. Maybe some of you know that story of uh, St. Augustine working on his treatise on the Trinity. And the story goes that he's struggling and he's thinking and he has this experience where he's at the ocean. He sees this little boy digging a hole in the ocean, in the, in the beach. And he goes to the ocean, fills the seashell up with water, comes back to the hole, dumps it in the hole, goes back to the ocean, fills it up, dumps it back in the hole. And Augustine asks him, what are you doing? He goes, I'm putting the ocean in the hole. He's like, you stupid boy. <laughs> he didn't say it. He's like, you can't do that. And then this little boy says, and same with you, Augustine, trying to fit the immensity of the Trinity into your mind. And then he disappeared. It's what we've, I feel like what we've been trying to do this week trying to put the infinite ocean into our minds. It's like, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. But then, au contraire, he whom the heavens could not contain was contained in the womb of the virgin. I love, and I don't know if it's every Byzantine church, but I, it's been in almost everyone that I've been to, 
they have an icon in the uh, upper dome, the apse of the church, called the Platitera icon. It means more spacious. That you have Mary pregnant with Christ, kind of like the Theotokos icon that we see, but what's different is that surrounding Christ in the center are all these stars, right? He whom the heavens could not contain is contained in the womb of the Virgin. There's an insanity to the Incarnation. Again, that, that Muslim scholar, we read that quote in, in, the, in the book, that if you've not felt the insanity of it, if you've not sympathized with heretics, you've not wrestled with it enough. Like, I, I have felt this all week long when I just, you know, bring God to and fro in this retreat center. Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah, I'm just holding him. The one who holds every atom in the universe, right? Yeah, I'm holding him. Or like my brother priest, when, you know, when we can celebrate mass and I'll turn, I'll hand you the patent and you grab a host off the patent, you just have it right there. It was at a, it was at this big mass with a bunch of brother priests and I was standing next to this buddy of mine and we're all there holding Jesus in our hands. The deacons had come by distributing the host to us. And he just starts going, I got the whole God in my hands. <laughs> and it was hilarious, but then it was just like, what? I've got the whole God in my hands. He comes so small. And thank goodness he comes so small. Because one, I'll just say, I'll just, say, I'll just speak for myself. I would be so scared otherwise. I'd be so scared otherwise. This is, the, this is the story of my heart with the Lord, that I have loved that clip of Ricky Bobby ever since I saw it. In fact, I was telling Jen that the very first Christmas homily I preached as a priest, that was like my opener, was <laughs> going through that scene. Because I love the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus. It was... Uh, the summer of 2013, going on 10 years ago now, I was going into third theology, which for our seminary in Cleveland is, is uh, an internship year. So I was preparing to spend a whole year in the parish. And at that point in my journey as a seminarian, I was in year, I mean, I was going into year seven of nine. Um, and I got into a point of total crisis. I, I was confronted by the fact that all I knew how to do was just pretend like I knew Jesus. All I knew how to do was, was the externals. Like, I'd read all the books, read all the books about him. I could quote Scott Hahn. I could quote Fulton Sheen. I could quote this West guy. Um, <laughs> it was like I was at a party that Jesus was throwing, and I was talking to all the other guests. Like, tell me about him. Like, oh, he's great. This is what I love about him. Like he said, he's over, you can go meet him. He's over there. No, I don't, I don't need to meet him. I'll just say what you said about him. So I was in a total crisis and I was, my vocation was hanging on by an absolute thread because I was like, I, <laughs> the one thing I will have to do as a priest is the one thing that right now I don't know how to do. It's just to speak about him credibly as someone who knows him. And I didn't know him 
And I was too afraid to know him. I was too afraid. Too afraid. I was 25 years old at that point. And like many 25-year-olds, I mean, I had incurred a heap of shame. A lot of things that I was exposed to early on that just wreaked havoc in my life. Self-inflicted wounds, but also the wounds that, you know, get inflicted on you from the outside. Things you believe about yourself that other people, you know, put on you. I was just utterly broken. Utterly broken. Completely addicted to affirmation because I was convinced I was just a piece of garbage. And so, like, I could give a talk that would wow a crowd and, like, I would stick around afterwards. I would linger afterwards because I just needed to hear. Tell me, tell me how good it was. And like the affirmation, it would come in, right? And then it would hit like this steel wall, this Teflon coating around my heart. It just would deflect out. Like it just could never go in deep enough. So there was so much self-hatred. So I made my way to this uh, place in Omaha, IPF, the Institute for Priestly Formation, where I learned how to pray like a pirate. Uh (laughs) It changed my life. And I, through amazing counseling, amazing spiritual direction, through just sitting, finally, quietly, long enough, I just started hearing this, like, knocking on the outside of my heart. Like, that's, that's him. And he wants to talk about that stuff that I don't want to talk about. Because he's, like, he, he can't possibly love that part of me. And I was so sure he was going to, like, behind whoever that gentle knock was, I was so sure there was, like, a SWAT team in full riot gear. And what happened... What happened when I finally did open that up, not just in the silence of prayer, but when I opened it up to a counselor, when I opened it up to my spiritual director, when I expressed, when I pressed out, when I verbalized the deepest crap, I was met with the most tender love. Gosh. And it's like, the visual will be like, I open the door, and like, I'm looking up, expecting to like, meet eye to eye with a SWAT team officer, and I look down, and there's like this infant standing right there. Like Jesus, the baby Jesus is, is right there. What's so funny, I was sharing with some people here uh, about how the Lord speaks to me through YouTube. The YouTube algorithms, right? And just the other day, I was, uh, I don't know how many of you remember that Will Ferrell video uh, with his daughter, Pearl, the landlord. <laughs> yeah. That, it just popped up in my algorithms. That's exactly what it was. I opened the door expecting to be berated, and there was just an infant there who was not like Pearl, the landlord. <laughs> Give me my money. <laughs> What I encountered was this tiny little baby who, like, a God who's, 
who bared his arm in the sight of Israel. Like that's what he says to Isaiah. I will bear my arm in the sight of Israel. And it turns out his arm is like this little chubby baby arm that was so small that it could fit through the cracks, fit through the, the, the bars of the prison that I was in. That he's, that's, that's what he is. He's so big and he's so powerful that he can be so small. God is greater than our hearts. He's the master key maker that in his humility, he conforms himself to whatever he needs to be, whatever shape he needs to be in to unlock the particularity of your story. I needed him to come in the shape of a baby. He doesn't evaluate our hearts. He's greater than our hearts. He doesn't evaluate our hearts or our story through that same narrow and condemning lens that we have on our own hearts. He's greater than your heart. He sees and he knows everything. Like he knows not only what we did and what we failed to do. He knows every minute detail of our stories. Every, the shape of every wound every hurt the hurts that you have forgotten he still feels them every paper cut spiritually speaking physically speaking all of the everything that you've already forgotten that hurts you he knows he knows how all of the hurts have contributed to the way that you are like one of the things that i've i have found as a confessor is that the things that people confess, no one wants to be the person who's confessing these things. No one wants to be that person. I have found as a, as a confessor that more often than not, what m- bubbles up in me is this desire to say, I am so sorry that you weren't loved at that moment. And that because of that, you learn to, to self-protect or take care of yourself. Or, I'm so sorry that no one showed up for you. And because of that, you've just become convinced. You don't even know why, but you're convinced that you've just got to take care of your own needs. Or I'm so sorry that you weren't protected from porn. You were supposed to be protected. And I'm sorry you weren't. I'm sorry that you weren't. Like, he knows all that stuff. He knows when and how and why we learn to arm ourselves And like progressively along the way, when I picked up this little piece of armor and when I picked up this little piece of armor and when this happened, when I was in third grade and I picked up this piece of armor, he he remembers all of it. He knows all of it. He's greater than our hearts. He's just greater. He knows why we cope the way we cope and he's not baffled by or frustrated with our vacillating or our running or our hiding or our excusing. We're baffled by it because we're just so prideful. How can I be a sinner who still does this stuff? He's like, I know exactly why you do that. Because it's worked. It's protected you from pain. I know exactly why you turn to that. I know exactly why that causes you to have an outburst. I know exactly why you are so obsessed with control. He's not surprised. We're surprised by our sins. He's not surprised because he's greater than our hearts. He's not scratching his head and he's not wagging his finger. and He's not hanging his head in disappointment like, man, this is the 546th time 
I've forgiven you. Like, I'm going to give you 10 more. <laughs> Something that has been a, an immense source of consolation for me over this past year, I just keep going back to it. You know, as a priest, you do a lot of weddings. And most couples pick that reading from Corinthians, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> they don't really know. The couples don't really know. Like, Paul was in a jail when he was writing that. It's not like his Disney princess birds chirping ode to love. Like, I must sing about love. <laughs> he was in a prison. Of all the adjectives that he could have used, of all the adjectives he could have used to first describe love, Jesus, he says it's patient and it's kind. Before it's anything else, he's patient and he's kind because he's greater than all of it. He's not afraid of what's inside of us, what's down there, like what might be unearthed. I, uh, I can't wait to see the new Avatar movie because I love, I love James Cameron. I love, I've loved Titanic. I've loved, I love the first Avatar movie. I can't wait to see this new one. But one of the things about James Cameron that's really funny, part of the reason why he made Titanic is because he, before he's a filmmaker, he's a deep-sea explorer. Like he basically made Titanic so he could have an excuse to, to go to the bottom of the ocean. There's some amazing documentaries about him with all this stuff. Challenger Deep, I think it's on Netflix. Anyway, you watch the, uh, the footage outside the submersible as it goes down deeper and deeper. And you go from seeing like normal tropical wildlife, you know, fish, as it goes down deeper, the stuff gets freaking weird. Like the, the fish, the things that live at the depths are weird and scary looking. Scary looking. Like this it's the stuff of sea monster legends. Like like that's that's why we don't want to go down there, because there's there's sea monsters in the depths. But we're we're called to be deep sea creatures. We're called to live at the depths. Do not be afraid, right? He's greater than our hearts. And the thing about this, too, is like he's not puzzling over, how am I going to get him to finally give up that addiction? Like, what am I going to do to help Mark finally stop being so angry? Like, he's not scratching his head because he's greater than our hearts. Like, he's already figured it out. <laughs> like, the God, our God is endlessly creative always drawing near, always thinking of ways to overthrow the rebellion of our own hearts. Like that line from um, Monsignor Albacete, we're being seduced with every raindrop. If he's using every raindrop to seduce us, that means that he's using every chair, every tissue, every carpet, every door. He's using everything. Like he can use everything. He is not, he's not worried about how he's going to conquer you. Because he's greater than our hearts.